Okay, are we up for a message this morning? Come on, let's get to our feet, shake off the old legs there. And let's pray this one in. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for what you've already done. Thank you that we get to do this life as a family. Thank you that we're never on our own, that you're in the midst of it all, but we also get to stand shoulder to shoulder in the ups and downs of life, Lord God. So I pray as we start this series of messages, Lord God, that you'd stir something in us to grab hold of life. Lord God, that we'd press against anything that comes up against us and apply the victory you've already won on our behalf. Thank you that our lot in life is that we win. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. What a great concept. You win. I don't know if you've read your Bible, but you get to the end and we win. You know, it's a done deal. All we're doing right now is appropriating that victory. And sometimes in the ups and downs of it all, it's a bit of a wrestle. But the reality is you win. Amen. Come on, we can get excited about that. I want to encourage us to be a church that engages in the preaching bit. You know, uh, let's be noisy. You know, I, I, when you, when it, sometimes I've preached and the place is like dead silent. You hear a pin drop. And I go home and I go, oh, I must have been rubbish today. And then I get 50 million texts. That was an amazing message. You really spoke to me. It's like you could have told, told your face that you know, during the message. So it's okay to amen, to clap, to click, to shout, to holler, not to boo. Let's be that church. Let's get lively because we're celebrating something God's done here. So I'm calling this, uh, this series of messages, Pick a Fight. We have a little graphic for you. Unusual title, but I think it's a very biblical title. Fight the good fight of faith. Everyone runs the race, but some run till they win because they're fighting for something. You know, the weapons we fight with are, there's this concept that we're fighting against something. We're in a battle whether we realize it or not. What we don't fight is people. We love people. What we fight is the things that set themselves up against us from being close to Jesus. The things that come against us from, that tries to rob us from our best life. And we can all, we've all got them. Now, the idea is that we appropriate a victory that Jesus already had and put that in our lives. So we fight from a spiritual perspective. And so what we do is we overcome the things that take us away from God and take us away from our best life. But sometimes we have to press in and fight for that. You know, I hate the idea of namby-pamby Christians. You know, the classic that people come and they say, oh, you're a Christian. Oh, it's just a crutch in your life. You're just a weak person. No, I'm not. If, I, if anyone actually knows Jesus, he takes us into the best life ever and it's worth fighting for. So we're not called to just lay down and let life happen to us. We're called to appropriate a victory. If you're not experiencing the best life, come on, let's grab the best life because Jesus got it for us. We have to fight for something. There we were. I'm going to base this series. I'm going to do three messages. And I'm going to base this around Elijah and his life. Some of you will be familiar with him. Some of you won't. But we'll make it clear. And I want us to look through what he goes through. Because I believe it will be similar things to what we all go through today. There's lots to be learned out of it. Now, I want to start from the end back right here. Because Elijah was called to pick a fight. But the reason he was called to pick a fight was because God's people, Israel, had become too relaxed, too laissez-faire, couldn't be bothered, were drifting along, believed in God, but weren't living like they believed in God. And God was cared for them too much to just let it drift. And so he asked Elijah to go and pick a fight with the very things that were causing that to happen. So there was a point to the fight, and the fight was reconciliation between man and God. The second thing that happens is that he's able then, having won his fight, to pass it on to the next generation so they could go further. 
And give me a wave if you're under 40 in the room right now. Let's celebrate our under 40s. Come on. You know, I've snuck over 40 some years ago. But you know what? God's using me to do great stuff. But I'm going to believe if you're under 40 today that someone like me could set someone like you up to go way further than I've ever been. But I need to win my stuff, otherwise I can't pass the baton on to you. So if you're over 40 here, come on, let's win our stuff. We've got another generation to set up to go further than us. And they're all sitting us here. Have it. So are we up for this? Okay, let me give you a quick overview of Elijah and his life. Uh, Elijah, you'll find his story in 1 Kings chapter 17. It runs through to 2 Kings about chapter 2. And Elijah's pretty epic. Do you know that Elijah is only one of two guys not to die? That's quite epic. He got taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. The other guy who didn't die is Enoch. You can hunt him down for yourself. And there's reasons for that that you'll find later on in Revelation. But he didn't die. So he's, he's a marked out man. And he lives in a time where the king is Ahab and the queen is Jezebel. We can all boo when we hear Jezebel. So the king is Ahab and the queen is Jezebel. There we go. I'm getting some interaction this morning. And the thing with this is Jezebel, don't boo every time. <laughs> we don't have that much fun in church, all right? A little bit of fun. Jezebel is witchcraft personified. And what I mean by that, I don't mean hubble, bubble, toil and trouble, leg of newt. Not that kind of witch. That's not what she is. She's, in a spiritual sense, what witchcraft does is this. Domination, manipulation, and control. It, it stops you from allowing you to be you through manipulation. Have you ever been in a room or around a person and you feel like, oh, I, I can't express myself. Oh, I'll just go with the flow. I can't be me. Well, you're experiencing the power of witchcraft. That, and Jezebel is that personified. Imagine being around that kind of person where it's so strong you can't function. That's who she was. And what she was doing is she was um, firstly killing off all of God's prophets. And secondly, causing God's people to be so fearful of her that they couldn't walk out their relationship with God. So one, on one level, they were going with the flow and got a bit laissez-faire. On the other level, they were living in fear of this queen who had no respect for life. And so they couldn't relate to their God. And Ahab represents this whole idea of someone who just kind of lays down and lets it happen to him. And he's the king, but she's acting like the king. Now he's, he's the one in authority, but she's the one living in authority. Do you see what I mean? And you, you'll see this, and I'm going to unpack it more next week for that one on Jezebel. But here's the thing. The people in Israel at the time are away from God because they're living in fear of this woman Jezebel and it's very very real so God stirs up Elijah and says I want you to go and pick a fight with Ahab and Jezebel and you've got to bear in mind right now how frightening that could be they're king and queen they're powerful they are literally killing off God's people so God calls one of his people to go and pick a fight with them this is Elijah we're talking about here and so this is what he goes and says in 1 Kings 17 and verse 1. Now Elijah, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years until I say so. See, here's the thing. 
You've got to bear in mind now, they're living in the palace. Elijah's just a guy, he's a prophet of God, and God said to him, go, and this is what I want you to say. Now, you've got to know that to have no rain was economic suicide. They had to have rain to function. To go and say to your leaders, there's going to be no rain, they're not going to be happy about that. And so here he is walking in the palace, the vastness of it all, the guards, the splendor, to go and pick a fight with the people who are killing his people. How pumped he got to be. Imagine that walk. But no, 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 no. This is Elijah. This is a man instigated by God to go and pick a fight with the, with the very thing that is robbing relationship with the Father. Come on, am I stirring something in you? This is real today. We are called to pick a fight with the very things that are robbing our relationship with the Father, that are robbing our nation and the world from relationship with the Father. God is saying, come on, church, stir yourself up. I'm asking you to pick a fight. So he goes in. And sometimes I feel like there needs to be something in life that is quite extreme that brings like a shock to cause us actually to want to turn back to God. You see, he could have gone in and had a reason, you know, reasoning debate with them. But no, no, he said, it's not going to rain now. And that's going to affect everyone. God's people, prophets of Baal, prophets of Asherah, the king's palace. Everyone's going to get affected by this. Everyone is going to get affected by this. But how often do we need a, a, a shock in life to get back right with God? So Elijah is coming in for a bit of shock treatment right here. But here's the journey he goes on. Uh, 1 Kings 17 verses 2 through 6 says this, Then the word of the, uh, of the Lord came to Elijah, leave, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. How cool is that, by the way? See, the word kerith means separation. So what God has done here is he's asked Elijah to go and pick a fight. Don't go and declare war with the very things that are causing his people to turn away from him. And having done that and been brave, he says, now I want you to separate. I want you to withdraw. And there's purpose in the withdrawal. See, God is looking to get that intimacy with Elijah. How often do we challenge ourselves, especially in an environment like this? Yeah, I want to be closer to you, God. And then we go on about and get into our day-to-day -day life. And the last thing we do is get closer to God. And it's not because we haven't got the heart for it. We mean well, but we get busy in life. And what God is saying is, there is something coming up here. You're about to have the biggest showdown of all showdowns. And I need you in the right place. We're not messing about here. Withdraw. And Elijah spends time developing his intimacy and his relationship with the Father without any distractions. God is challenging Elijah to be at peace with himself. How many of us can honestly say, I'm comfortable in my own skin? I'm cool with me. You know, we live in a world that's always challenging us not to be comfortable in our own skin. But here, the very first thing that Elijah is challenged to do is withdraw and get comfortable with himself. I'm okay. More than that, I've got no other distractions and I'm looking at my Father. He's developing this relationship with the Father with no distractions whatsoever. More than that, every morning, every night, the birds come in and give him food. Now, I don't know where you sit, but if that happened every morning, every night in my world, my faith is going to start going, whoa, 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 whoa. 
God can even command the ravens for crying out loud. I'm here getting comfortable myself. I've picked a fire. I might feel a little bit wobbly right now. Because who knows that when you make that declaration in front of those kind of people, although you've done it and you walked away, you're walking away thinking, what have I done? What are I going to do that for? But he withdraws him. Don't think like that, Elijah. You've done exactly what I asked you to do. Now I'm going to do something on the inside of you. And to do something on the inside of you, I need to pull you away from the busyness of life. And while I'm doing something on the inside of you, I'm going to show you who I am. Even the ravens submit to me. And they bring in meat. They bring in water. He's by this brook. And he's just separate from life. God needed Elijah to develop his own story personally. Not living based on stories he's heard of the past. Not living on his best friend's faith. But a personal faith that says, my God did it for me. You see, God wants to take you. He wants to take you to a place where you develop your personal story. Where you're able to say, my God did this for me. And it does something on the inside of you which stirs your faith. So when the fight comes in life, you've got some substance. Yeah, of course, let's hear everyone else's story. That's really important. But God wants you to have a story. Are you hearing me? It's not just my story or some other people's story. It's your personal story that God's after. But that sometimes takes you to a place of being pulled away and say, God, I want to develop this thing with you. It's important to me. Elijah had to first get comfortable with himself. How many of us want to declare war on stuff that's... a harassing our life, messing stuff up, but we're not even happy with ourselves. The first fight we need to win is to be happy with ourselves. The first fight we need to win is to get to that place where I'm so close personally with the Father that he's giving me some substance in my faith. So whatever comes at me, I know, I know, I know God's word is true. I know, I know, I know my Father's got this. Are you hearing me? So the first thing that happens is he declares this war with, with, with witchcraft personified that's killing everyone off and bringing fear all around. Then God says, come away with me. Come away with me. Not in the worship team now. But do you see? But there was purpose. He needed to do something personal with Elijah. Do you know God wants to do something personal with you? He wants to do something personal with you. He will never force it. The word of the Lord came to Elijah, go to the brook. He could have said, now nah, you're all right. God would have respected that. But no, no, when you submit to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, you end up in a place where God does something on the inside of you. And it's helpful to your life. So he lives there for some time and, and develops this intimacy with the Father. He develops his faith through seeing these ravens and having the brook. And all the while this drought is going on and people are suffering and struggling. And it's difficult. But then eventually the brook dries up. And God says to him, okay, you've nailed this. I'm happy with what's going on on the inside of you. Now I need to take you somewhere else. And he takes him to this place called Zarephath. Turn to the person next to you and say, Zarephath. The word Zarephath means smelting pot. And what a smelting pot is, and those of you know, scientists out there, you know, if you put metal into a smelting pot, all the impurities get so hot that they come off and lift to the surface. So what's underneath is pure. It's, 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 a very, it's, a, it's a place of purification, but it's difficult and hot and burns, but the bad stuff comes off of you. You understand what a smelting pot is? What happens here is in Zarephath is Elijah gets called to go and live with a family. Who knows 
that families are God-ordained. Who knows that families are awesome? But who knows that families are flipping difficult sometimes? Come on, let's get real here. The smelting pot is with a family. See, you've nailed this on your own, Elijah. That's awesome. Me and you are good. Now I want you to be good with people. You see, I'm asking you to take the faith that you developed in, inside of you and now position yourself in a family where you're going to get tested. Things are going to happen. Things are going to get said. And he puts him in this place with this woman and her son and they're having a struggle. Why? Because they're in drought. Why are they in drought? Because Elijah declared it. Go and live with those people. And so God instigates this situation where he meets this woman who's making her last meal before she dies because they've run out of everything because of the drought. And Elijah turns up. And this is what happens in 1 Kings 17, 12 through 14. Um, he's speaking to them. As surely as, as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, the cheek of the man, but first, make a small loaf for me. You'll go in with the last you've got to make your last meal. But before you do that, make one for me. He's got some front, hasn't he? Sounds like me in my house. Uh, Make it for me and what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. You see, what happens here is Elijah has developed a personal faith in the quiet place. He goes to a family who are struggling and they saying, I'm going to eat my last meal. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm a man of faith. I've been supplied by the ravens. God could do something special here because I've got a story to tell. And he walks in there and says, make me something. And if you make me something, it's never going to run out because my God has supplied me and I know that he will supply you too because I'm in the house now. There's a couple of things going on here. The first thing that I believe is going on here is that... Um, Elijah's faith is so strong in this point that he knows, he knows, he knows, he knows that God will come through. So he's able to declare something like that because he's got a testimony. So God's done something in him of faith. The second thing that's going on is the widow knew that those who honor God, God will honor. And here Elijah is representing God in the situation. He's the man of God. So she would believe in her faith that as she honors Elijah, God will honor her. You see what's happening there. And there's this whole idea of sometimes we feel like we haven't got enough. But when we still say we're going to honour you, God, something on the back of that decision brings a blessing. It never runs out. So for any of you who feel like, oh, I haven't got enough. Oh, there's an offering coming up. Oh, there's something to give to. Oh, there's something to go to. I haven't got enough time. I haven't got enough energy. I haven't got enough finance. I haven't got enough stuff. I can't do it. When you understand those who want to go, God will honor, you're able to give, to go to, to impart something into that situation, knowing on the back of that, there's a blessing attached. And this woman is living that. So here, Elijah, who's been in the quiet place and built faith, goes into a family and brings that faith into a family and changes their world. You are called to change the world. You're in your, your home should never be the same because you're in it. 
Your street should never be the same because you're in it. Your classroom shouldn't be the same because you're in it. Your workplace shouldn't be the same because you're in it. You're a man or a woman of faith who takes that into the environment. Can you see? That will come when you win the quiet place. When you say, God, this is me and you developing something in me. This is me creating my own story. So much so that there's a passion and fire in my belly that I have to take it everywhere. And maybe for some of us, our first fight is the quiet place. Would you take that fight on? Because there is blessing on the other side of it. It goes a bit pear-shaped because the sun dies. How tough's that? He comes in here declaring stuff and, and then the woman's son dies. and He's in the middle of it all. But this is what happens in 1 Kings 17, uh, verses 17 and 18. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what have you done against me, man of God? Do you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? You see, was this Elijah's fault? No, the boy was ill anyway. But how often in family life do we take each other for granted so much that we're very quick to point the finger? It wasn't Elijah's fault, but Elijah gets the blame. How many of you have always been blamed for something that was never your fault? Come on. And it always happens with the people you're closest to, doesn't it? The reason the smelting pot is family is because to live with the people you love the most, the people you spend the most time with, the people you're closest to, they're also the people you take for granted the most. And that's challenging. We shouldn't be taking each other for granted ever. But it happens here. Elijah's come in and brought a blessing. Something goes wrong. Elijah gets the blame. It wasn't Elijah's fault. But because they've become close, because they've become family, all kinds of things happen. Is it only my house that's like that? Do you know it's literally never my fault? What are you like? Question to you. What are you like around the people who are closest to you? The great thing here is that Elijah goes in and says, no, no, I'm going to get him up. Why can he do that? Because he's got faith developed in the quiet place. He actually lays on him and breathes in nostril to nostril, which is a little bit of a weird stance. But you can read about that later. But he gets back up. What happens in that house? Do you know why? He's got a faith developed in the quiet place. And the woman has acted on the principle that those who honour God, God will honour. So not only did their food not run out, when her son died, he got back up again. There's honour in the house. But that's all sometimes difficult because we're close to each other and we take each other for granted. Come on, let's start representing heaven in your own home. The most difficult place to do it is the smelting pot. Is there an amen somewhere? So God has asked Elijah to pick this fight. And he goes back to Elijah, uh, to Ahab and Jezebel. And he says to them, time is coming to an end now for this drought. But I want to have a fire off. He invites them to send out uh, the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah for, for a, for a fire, fire off publicly. You see, what's happened here is he's, he's nailed it in the private place. He's nailed it in the place of family. And now God is calling him to the public place. And it will be the same for all of you. If you want something to go well, well in your public world, you have to go on the same journey that Elijah went on. And what's your private world looking like? You can nail that. What are your best friendships looking like? If you can nail that, see what will happen publicly. Do you know why? Because God can trust you. See, if he can trust you in the quiet place, 
He can trust you in a family. He can now trust you publicly. And, and if I can just put a, a side note here, as I've been looking at this, I felt really honoured on a personal level. And the reason I feel honoured is because so many of you here have called this church your home. And that means a, a few things. Firstly, you believe in the vision and style of our church and what we're trying to achieve. But secondly, you believe in me. Because why would you come to a church where you couldn't follow the leader? So either consciously or subconsciously, you've been checking me out. Not about the way I look, but about my character, about my faith journey. You see, you can start telling what my private life looks like by what my public ministry looks like. You see, when God gives me a message to give and I can give it with authority, that's because God's using me, not because I'm great. If I get a prophetic word for someone, it just hits them right in the heart. It's because God's doing something in me. But it's on the back of something that happened in my private world. See, whether you've realized it or not, you've checked me out. And the fact you've stayed means that you see something in the way I'm leading. You've probably looked, well, you will have looked at my family. What's my marriage like? Do they look like they love each other? Well, either we do or we're the best actors in the world. You know, you looked at my children. Josh, drumming today. <laughs> That'll be my son. And my daughter, and you'll see that they're flourishing. They love their house. They've got strong faith developing. You should hear my children pray. And if you need, you need prayer, go to my children. Don't go to me. They're way better than me. But you've checked that out. And that what's happened in my life is that God's challenged me. Years ago, he challenged me, Barry, get in the private place with me. What's happening now in my world is, is on the back of years where I've nailed it in the private life. And I developed a great home and a marriage and bringing up children. And now God says, because of that, I can give you public ministry. Can you see the journey? And each of you need to go on that journey. Nail the process. Elijah had to nail the... Before he got into the fire off, he had to nail the other things first. Are you with me? If you want to demonstrate God publicly, look at your private life. We come to Mount Carmel. And Mount Carmel means fresh garden. It's a place of new beginning. And I love that. So what happens is that Elijah goes, uh, he goes back to Ahab. You've got to bear in mind, Ahab really, really, really hates him now because they actually have had drought. They're struggling. The world's turning against him. And he says, okay, let's bring this to a head. Get your guys to Mount Carmel. I will turn up. And this is what he says. Your 450 prophets of Baal and your 400 prophets of Asherah have got all morning to see if they can call fire down from heaven to light up a wooden altar that they can build. And so they do that. And so you can build the tensions building. Uh, and the people are arriving. All of Israel's heard about it. And then all of a sudden it's going, Elijah's going to turn up. This is going to go off. Front row tickets are there. You've got the towel at the front. You know, most expensive higher up the mountains. You can see it all. And the people around. And, and Jezebel stays away. But Ahab turns up to see what's happening. And, and these prophets come. And, and they, they start this, this debate and this, this, this fire off. And I love it because the, the prophets of Baal start doing their dancing and chanting. And whatever it is they do. And they, they cut themselves. And they believe that drawing blood is, is going to bring power from heaven. And they start slashing themselves to pieces. This is a great big blood fest. And nothing's happening. And the great thing is that, that Elijah starts commenting. And this would be so what I would do in this situation. He's there, he's going, guys, I don't think they can hear you. Chant louder. And then he says this, I think God might be on the toilet. 
actual New King James interpretation of what the words actually say. That's actually what he says. I think he might be having a loose stop. You need to chant louder and they're doing all this stuff. Nothing. No, no fire. Nothing. And Elijah stands up and speaks to the people. Bear in mind the entire point of this was to draw the people back to the Father. And this is what he says. <coughs> I hope. So 1 Kings 18, verse 20. There we go. Um, Ahab sent word through all the prophets and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Here's the thing. They're not sure. They're a bit scared of Jezebel. They've got themselves into a rut of living a certain way. They do believe in God, but they're kind of not living like that. They kind of like the idea of God, but they're wavering. And Elijah's like, come on. The whole point of this was to get you to stop wavering. Church, how long? Will the church waver between two opinions? Come on, are we going to fight for something? We carry the gospel message. We carry the good news. We, we carry that eternal life is in the hands of Jesus. And he's already appropriated it all for all of us. So we just need to go and tell people about it. But we live in fear. Oh, what if they don't like me? Come on. We carry the best message. How long are we going to live in our private world the wrong way? How long are we going to be uncomfortable around people? Come, on, We've got to start appropriating this stuff to be the church that God has always wanted us to be. Are, are you hearing me? And this is what happens in 1 Kings. You know, Elijah sets his style up in 1 Kings 18, 33 through 39 says this. Elijah arranged, arranged the wood. He cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to him, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. So he's like, I'm going to up the ante here. Why? Because in the quiet place, my faith is so strong. A little bit of water is not going to affect this. Do it again, he said. Come on, chuck a bit more on. We've seen them have their go. They're all bleeding over there. Nothing. Stop wavering. Let me demonstrate to you why. Pour the water on. Pour some more water on. And they did it again. Do it a third time. Let's soak this wood properly, people. And they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that, they are, they are turning, um, and that you are turning their hearts back again. That was the point. Can you leave that on there? That was the point. The point was, I've gone on this journey to pick a fight with the very thing that is keeping people away from God. Now's the moment. And he's saying, God, this is all for your glory. It's not about me. I'm standing up publicly. Now just prove you are God with the reason of turning the hearts of the people back to you again. The next slide. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burnt up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. How amazing. 
You see, he picked a fight, Elijah did, with the very thing that was keeping the people away from the Father. And it was fear and witchcraft. And he goes on this journey where God does something in the quiet place. And then he does something in the family environment. And then he calls him out into public in such a strong place of faith that he can even say, pour the water on. Just keep it coming. Take the mickey out of these things that are coming against me. Is your God listening? Sometimes we live in fear that we won't even demonstrate and speak truth because we're scared of what might come back at us. Elijah wasn't. Publicly, he said, God, now it's over to you. I've done my bit. And the fire fell. I love the bit where he he took up the stones. I mean, how strong is that fire to burn the stones up for crying out loud? The fire fell. So... How long, church, will we waver now? Is that God of Elijah your God? I don't know what you're up against. I don't know what you want to see in your life, but I know this. My faith says all things are possible. But there's so much more possible for people who will go on a journey and get real with God. You see, we need to nail the quiet place. We need to nail the family environment, and then you will see something publicly where God will bless you. I I love the idea that every miracle God has ever done, at the heart of it is compassion. You see, God loves people so much. The whole point of all this stuff there was because he was reaching out to the people he loved. It's okay, you're walking away from me and you're living this weird life. That's okay, I still love you. But I love you too much to not live the best life. And so God calls us into relationship with him For the purpose of having the best life. God's got a great plan for you. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you. Good plans to give you a hope and a future. That's your truth. But we can't live on that truth. But live a different kind of lifestyle. Are you hearing me church? It's gone a bit thoughtful and quiet. And I understand that. I hope that means that something's going off on the inside of you. That's making you feel like. Come on I want to get serious about my faith. I want to get serious about my Jesus. I need to nail some stuff in my life. Because what you're actually doing is picking a fight with the things that are keeping you from God. You're not against people. But there is stuff in your world that's blocking that intimacy with the Father. There's stuff in your world that is blocking your family world and your friendships from going to another level. There is stuff in your world that is blocking your public ministry from going boom and the fire falling. Elijah had to go on a process. I believe we all have to go on a process. And you may be somewhere in that process already and I encourage you to keep going God is looking to reach out and touch you he loves you and if you're wavering do you know what he still loves you but he loves you enough to bring you to church on a Sunday to hear a message like this which I hope stirs your spirit person to say come on and get real about this stuff you know God loves your friends your colleagues your family But if you can stir something in you so that you will demonstrate what God looks like to them, win-win. Because they need to hear your testimony. They need to look at your life and say, wow, since you've got real about your faith, your world's gone to another level. I can see that. It's declaring something. So my question this morning in session one is, shall we pick a fight? Will you pick a fight? Can you look at your world, your situations, your levels and say, I'm going to a new level and I'm prepared to fight for that? What would you do on behalf of Jesus that would cause someone else to draw close to him? Because that's what Elijah was doing. 
he went on his own journey in his own battles to publicly do something that caused people to turn to Jesus and that's the mandate on us as people let us draw near to God and watch this unbelievable life pan out and while doing that help other people to see Jesus so that their incredible life could pan out see every miracle has compassion at the heart of it because God wants to bless you and he wants to bless the people around you and he wants to bless them through you so is it worth a fight no I hope it is next week we will look at Jezebel and this whole idea of fear and I believe fear is still one of the strongest things you'll come up against today but she was fear personified and we'll look at that and we'll believe for some prayer and some some freedom from those kind of things but for this morning can you make a decision in your heart to say I'm up for this and can I ask you to get your feet and we're going to pray some prayers together